0: Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Range is hot. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gun Racks and North District Institute School of Fire Technologies official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks, call me Joey, and with me, we have one... Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin. We are excited for what we have for you guys today. We are going to be checking out another episode of Grad Speak, which it has been entirely too long since we have done. Uh, Drew had the opportunity to talk with David Raines. Uh, who is just a superb uh, human being and a graduate of uh, Sonoran District Institute and a uh, guy we really like to talk with. This is a very in-depth interview, which is going to be a lot of fun uh, for you guys. And actually, this is Drew's very first uh, graduate or kind of uh, big-level interview, uh, all by his lonesome. So it's becoming a full-time lad here. So that's exciting, too. Before we get into that, though, Drew Poplin is on the clues.
0: Drew's clues. What was the answer to last week's trivia bit? Last week's answer was the M249 LMG saw. Um, This week, your clues are, and I'm I'm feeling generous. I'm giving you five clues, so you're welcome. Clue number one: This is a nine millimeter striker-fired pistol. Number two. It has white dot sights. Three, its trigger has a six-pound trigger pull. Number four, without its magazine, it weighs less than one and a half pounds. And number five, it was developed and produced in 2017. Joey, do you have anything to add on to that? I'm going to add something because that actually,
1: those are, those Very clues. Yeah, that's, this one is, some of them it's like, you know. Batter up. This one's going to be really difficult, I think. Um, I will add one more thing to it, I think. Oh, no, okay, I'll do two. One, four-inch barrel is what this guy has. And then uh, that's off the top of my head. I'm praying that's correct. And then two, it's from one of my very favorite gun brands in the world. Um, there are a few of them, as I think you guys know at this point, but that should at least narrow it down a little bit. Um, If you think you know the answer, uh, hang tight till next week, or even send us an email at marketing at sdi.edu with a guess. If you guess correctly, we'll find some sort of prize for you. Send your way. Stay tuned for next week for the answer. Now, before we get into talking with David Rains, are you interested in the world of firearms technology? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Sonoran Desert Institute. Sonoran Desert Institute is an accredited online school with a passion for firearms technology. Uh, we have two programs within the realm of firearms technology right now available, the certificate in firearms technology, gunsmithing, and the Associate of Science in Firearms Technology. We are, as I mentioned, an online school, which means you can learn these things from the comfort of your home. Every four credit hour class comes with a lab, which means these courses while you're doing them at home do have a hands-on component that's so vital for learning so many of these skills. If you're interested in either of those programs or even the School of Unmanned Technology, which has a lot to do with drones, hop on to sdi.edu and learn a little bit more. If you're not a part of the SDI family already, we'd love to have you join us. Okay, let's hop into the main topic of this bad boy. We have, speaking of the our school, uh, we have a really cool lineup. This guy is a lot of fun. So, Drew, give us a little intro for this guy, and then we'll hop right in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, David is a recent graduate of SDI. Uh in fact he won the DEAC, I believe it's the outstanding uh outstanding student student award. Yeah, he was the DEAC outstanding graduate uh of his class. Um and honestly, he's just a lot of fun. Uh we talked for maybe two, two and a half hours and the conversations were shifting back and forth. Uh he has a great impersonation of if Vito Corleone was Emperor Palpatine. However, because it went so long, and we know you guys are busy people, pretty much I'm going to be cutting the interview up and sort of introducing, you know, what the topic we're talking about is and kind of let you hear his blurbs in that regard. So yeah.
1: yeah a lot, with a lot of our grad speaks and testimonials in the past, we've just sat down with them and, and kind of aired, you know, all of the interview or you know, most or very much of the interview. Uh, the conversation Drew had with David was like two hours long, which is easily a record, uh, which is awesome. We love to have that. Uh, but uh, with this one, I think getting the condensed version to you guys with all the information he was able to share is going to, be, it's going to be freaking sweet. So now, without any further ado, let's do this guy.
0: Hey, y'all. It's Drew Poplin here. Uh, again, I'm just going to be introducing these segments, try to make things move really smooth. Um, this first section, I am titling Comedy, Inspiration, and Arlie Ermy: How David Rains Got His Start in Gunsmithing. Uh, but first, we're going to kick things off with his impersonation of Marlon Brando playing Vito Corleone, playing Emperor Palpatine. Hope you enjoy. You're coming to my Senate. You're coming <laughs> to my Senate. <laughs> okay, so first question is, when, when are you taking that show on the road?
2: um, When I was in high school, I had actually uh, went to a couple summer camps uh, a couple hours from here in Washington. And uh, I did some stand up for them like, dude, you got a sense of humor. Do you want to go up on stage and talk for 20, 30 minutes? I'm like, sure never really been approached like that but i have to appreciate even even jared and howard and kelly i think it was her name she was the services director Mm -hmm. she made a a brain surgery joke oh and i took that shit and i ran with it so hard Uh because if you've read my background i had brain surgery i have an active tumor in the back of my head yeah uh and so she's like guys we'll get this we'll get this it'll be okay when 10 o'clock comes around it's not brain surgery and i look up at her and i'm like real funny kelly and she's like oh my god oh i'm just david, I, I, I didn't mean it and i just had to i just had to laugh with her uh-huh. and, and she looked like she had just smacked a baby in her face yeah and i'm just sitting there like... <laughs> <laughs> so it was just it was just it was just hilarious but they're like you got a weird sense of humor david and i'm like you know i probably wouldn't be alive if i didn't have this sense of humor mm-hmm and it was an outlet. And that was funny because SDI gave me the opportunity to have an outlet for that, for that energy. That same energy I could devote to my comedy and my sense of humor with everything as I could devote into my love of guns, my love of firearms, hence why you catch me in the middle of reloading 223. That energy was allowed to be channeled you know, because uncontrolled energy can get a little chaotic and kind of go everywhere and do bad things, but the energy and the motivation I had with SDI to help me actually accomplish something because I was homeschooled until I was about 16. And then I went to four years of public school and that's where I did computer technology and hardware, Mm -hmm. but that allowed me, you know, and that was, that was just the GED kind of thing, you Mm -hmm. know, SDI allowed me an opportunity to get a better official education because like you're, if I could turn the camera around, the SDI plaques were right on the wall behind my computer here. Mm-hmm. So it gave me the opportunity to get focused and like a Fresnel lens where you would focus down sunlight to achieve a, a goal. I, I was able to achieve that with SDI and that I loved.
0: So you mentioned having the passion for firearms and you know, for gunsmithing. How did that first come about?
2: I'd actually, uh, even before YouTube was a big thing. So we're talking, I was born in 89, so I'm uh, classified as a millennial, as you could say, but one of the good ones. Before YouTube really took off, I was a big History Channel buff. And on the History Channel, they had, can you name the show?
0: I want to say Modern Marvels, but...
2: Modern Marvels and two big ones. Full Metal Jacket, I think is the movie starring Arlie Army. So before that, he was the host of a, a very popular TV show. Arlie Ermy was one of my favorites growing up. It was Mail Call. He had a series called Mail Call, which was the military channel and slash history channel. But it was like military questions. Like mm-hmm. they'd send in letters for military questions. And, you know, the former sergeant of the U.S. Marines would answer those questions in his usual fashion. Mm-hmm. Mail Call was fantastic. But... Before YouTube really took off, I wasn't really exposed to firearms growing up. We had two mm-hmm. guns in the house. We had a Remington 870 Magnum, and then my dad had his 1911. So it was kind of the two guns for the house growing up out in the pear country here in northern Washington. But that shotgun was strictly a pest control, coyotes or woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a lot of exposure with him. Didn't go shooting with dad. My dad was never a hunter. So something I never got to experience. So I grew up obviously as a young American male. I love my exposure to guns, love guns, love the technological marvel that they've become in under 200 years. So every weekend when there wasn't school, I would just put on Modern Marvels or Locked and Loaded or Mail Call and watch as much information as I could about America's history and the world's history with firearms. And that was awesome for years. And then a few more shows came out and you had Future Weapons and then you had a couple of spinoffs and I love the action movies. And, and then YouTube kicked on mid to late 2007, I want to say is where I picked this up right out of high school. And then there's some channels that have been going older than that and had channels that had yet to come. And I want to say two or three years ago, before your rebranding, I was starting to see SDI ads show up in the Hickok 45 videos. Yeah. And you had Demolition Ranch. I'd still love to meet Matt Carricker to this day, but it was probably two or three years ago. It was probably a year before I enrolled. And now that we're well into 2022, that it was watching those ads and like starting to see them on more of my GunTuber channels and even newer channels started to have if you ever think about a career in firearms, the Sonoran Desert, you know, and the badge would pop up and he'd give his 20, 30 second banner Uh about it. And I'm like, huh, I go to school. I'm kind of a stay at home dad. So I had recovered from brain surgery in March of 2020 and was just like, uh, what do I do? I couldn't work. My old job at the distillery had closed due to COVID. We had to liquidate everything. So it didn't really have purpose. Didn't really have a direction in which to go. And I thought, I know enough about guns just passively that I could probably get through this pretty easy. And little did I know I was grossly misinformed. I've learned a lot more than I did when I went into it. Uh But just the appreciation of like, okay, yeah, I know how AR-15 works. But I have no idea what the items are called. Uh, uh, I don't know how to, huh? do I know how to do, it? and that would be me. I talked with Sasha for uh, a couple of weeks at the very beginning, because it was before she was uh, a career services advisor. So it was yeah. when she was still keeping up with me and asking, are you thinking about it? Or are you not thinking about it? What can we do to change your mind? And I was just like, how can I do this? So then I went out and read some testimonials and I walked some backgrounds and there's people that hate this. Like you see the flack that some of the reviews, like they take your money and then you never hear from them again. And I'm like, uh, uh-huh. so, so like good reviews, bad reviews, yeah. overwhelmingly good reviews, but a lot of that I've learned more than my eight, nine weeks and four days in boot camp. Oh, you know? But I'm like, you find another long, a distance-based education program that has done better in the last 22 years than SDI, mm-hmm. that has done so much, earned so much notoriety, has gotten their fingers into so many pies with the gun tuber community, and you won't find one very, really, really easily. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So the next section that we t- tackle, I am titling the family shotgun. Very simple title. Uh, But I think it's a cool section. I'm glad that uh, David elucidated on the subject. So without any further ado, here you go.
2: But back to the subject at hand, SDI allowed me to put my money where my mouth is and be a gunsmith. And I don't know how you grew up with your father, bud, but uh, when you impressed your dad, that was a big thing. You Uh know, when your dad says, I'm really impressed, son. And then I hadn't even graduated yet, and there's a trap shoot. We have a trap range up here in Kashmir that we do uh, practice shooting like Thursday nights. Okay. So I started to go to that last year in that graduation ceremony. Mm-hmm. Sasha mentions volunteered a little trap shoot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the one up the road that I trap shoot. I haven't really started that as as of late. And I was still helping Dad, and he gave me the family shotgun. So Dad's like. I'm proud of you, son. I want you to have this. And he gave me a Remington 870 Wingmaster Magnum. I had this dated. I I called Remington up and I had them date this. And this was manufactured in 1955. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And my dad bought it in 66 out of a pawn shop. Okay. And my dad was like 16. And this is the first gun he bought after uh, my grandpa died. Mm -mm. So my dad had this for well over 50 years in the shop. And it was the family gun, like I said, for coyotes or woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. Dad would be like, nope, stay in the house. I got this. Yep, and he'd yep. go and you'd hear and see the top three feet of a tree go missing. <laughs> um because he would load, sure enough, he'd load three-inch shells into it. And he's like, I'm gonna get that bird with as much as I can. Yep. You know, <laughs> so sure enough, you'd hear a three-inch shell go off and see, ah, it goes to the top of that evergreen, you know. So that was always like Shotgun, that's so cool you know as a young kid you just see your dad there and he's all just i'll be back and you know growing up that was the best thing ever to see your cool dad with cool gun that had survived you know and this pattern and this design is 80 100 years old at yeah. this point yeah. now because the 870s really didn't change they changed some iterative but the same basic receiver housing sure like there's a there's an old remington 722 it's a 30-06 bolt carrier you know semi-automatic and it's the same receiver they just have a small cam groove here for the charging handle and it takes 30-06 shells I and it's, it's a little that. rusted and little patina but it's an old 722 but it uses the same housing as these 870s so it looks like a shotgun at first glance but you flip it over and i'm like oh, that's not a shotgun
0: yeah
2: 30 out six bolt, 30 30 six semi auto that was magazine fed out of a Remington 870. So, uh, when you see an 870, I'm like, straight and true. So, it's a Subaru engine, it's a Honda Civic, it'll go for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand miles, and it'll keep going if you can take care of it right. Yeah, so the fact that my dad's had this gun for 50 years, I want to have this gun for 50 years. Absolutely, I haven't. I haven't cleaned it up like I'm not going to recondition the stock or anything. I'm going to leave it because I I keep it well oiled and well lubricated when I'm not when it's not in use. But I'm going to let this get a a seasoning on it. You know, Well used but well taken care of. But it meant a lot to me that I could even take 10 months at SDI and get the family shotgun and my dad to be like, I'm proud of you, son. I want you to have this. And I'm just like, honey. You know, I had to tell yeah. the wife. I, I had to tell the wife. Getting the family shotgun was like, that was the that was the nail in the coffin for me. It was like, okay, totally worth it. Totally That's worth cool. it. I get I get the family shotgun. Awesome. So that was one thing that um, SDI allowed me to do was to impress my dad. Of all things, worth the ten thousand dollars or whatever it cost me to go totally worth it if I could impress my dad.
0: All right. So next up, uh, David kind of just walks through some of his experiences with his new job, you know, sort of what he does, uh, and a little bit of how that connects with the SDI.
2: Now that I work at a place here in Washington it's called Stan's Mary Mart. We're actually having our 75th anniversary this June. Stan's has been open for 75 years. They started shortly after world war II. Oh, I love Stan's. And my- we didn't have, gun counter and we didn't have a gun counter for a long time i think it was 2010 2010 or 2012 i think is when they started bringing in the guns but it was an ace hardware it like was one of the central in the tri-county area so it has a lot of pedigree with the local community for decades Mm -hmm. decades but January, I started that job there at the, uh, there at Stance Marymount because they've got a gun counter that's super popular. I mean, I, I now deal in the transfer applications. So the FTAs, the firearm transfer applications, essentially mm-hmm. the 4473s that are sent off to the correct ju- jurisdiction or county or city or whatever in like six counties. And a lot of people from the East Coast, too, because they can't find guns or ammo over there. And so they mm-hmm. have to come over here. Mm -hmm. So like Pierce County, Okanagan, Chelan, Douglas, Chelan's the county that I live in. So just dealing with these, if the morning, Lori is the morning lady, but she leaves at like 11 o'clock. So from 11 to five, I'm checking those transfer applications every day on the days that I'm not homesick. I have a little lapel pin that I wear on my work shirt that Mm -hmm. they allowed me to wear on my work shirt. When I can bring up, well, how do you know so much? Well, and I'll grab the pen and usually I'm actually an SDI graduate.
0: Yeah.
2: And like I was announced, I was the outstanding student for the DEAC award when Mm -hmm. I attended SDI I just kind of like it into their eyes, so to speak. And then I have two other people that I've actually met locally. One came before me at SDI and one, I actually got enrolled via a referral. Mm -hmm. And that was the other thing. Tell Sasha, I want a referral bonus, huh? Huh? Um, (laughs) When we were at dinner there in Tempe, uh, I totally forget her name, but she was a blonde, short-haired. She was part of admissions. I think she was admissions. But she recognized all the names that I gave her because she was part of the admissions process. She she knew all those names. And I'm like, I had coffee with him. Uh, He's a certified Cerakote applicator. So Cerakote's facility is only like five hours away in Idaho. Mm -hmm. So he drove to Idaho, got certified by NIS, who is the maker of Cerakote, because Cerakote is the brand, not the company, and got his certified Cerakoting applicators license. So he's endorsed by the company that makes it. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. So he comes into stands, customer will buy his gun, and then Kurt will take it home, Cerakote it, bring it back, they'll pick up their gun. Or they'll come in and buy any additions or extra handguards or stuff they want thrown on mm. and put that on. And it's like, I didn't know you went to SDI, Kurt. Yeah, I did the 10-month program. I'm like, well, I did too. But I got to say, the SDI, you know, I, I, I never regret it. I mean, I had some tough times going through it, Absolutely. I won't say that it was easy by any means of the word. The next thing you need to do is you need to get an interview with the wife and ask her how I did Mm. because it got to points like I would, for years and years and years, there'd be things that I'd start and never finish and start and never finish and start and never finish. And that was a lot of things. I've got a long, long dark history of like, I'm going to learn how to insert hobby here. And I did it for six or eight months or maybe a year. And then it just kind of eh, just going to sell it, you know, but it was SDI that kept me like, I was like eight weeks done. I think I was starting my last two classes because I had to retake my first two because one, I had no idea what I was doing. So I got to do the middle section and then redo the first two at the very end. And I knew what I was doing. So that's why I was able to graduate as well as I did. I had a long history of not being able to complete something and SDI, you know, with my love of firearms, as long as I had SDI gave me that opportunity to actually finish something. I wasn't the first kid to go to college. You know, I wasn't the first kid to go to any kind of vocational school or anything, but it was the first, I was the first kid of myself. You know, I'm not, like I said, yes, I enjoy impressing my parents but this was something that i struggled with personally for a really long time was Mm. accomplishing anything and sdi gave me an outlet that i could like i said focus that energy into something and and make something of it and i did and lord knows when i finished that school i had no idea you guys would fly me to fly me to tempe and have a deac award have a big crystal glass up on my desk in my bedroom that i can just look at like oh i did that it became almost foreign to me if that makes any sense because i hadn't done it it just like i said i had a long history of not finishing anything i'm like i really did i guess i did
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And, and it wasn't it was something that just wasn't straight up easy for me just wasn't i mean i enjoyed it but if i could manipulate that energy from the stress of being back in school Mm -hmm. into the motivation to get through school it became easier Mm -hmm. there's things like i had a little bit of a learning curve out of surgery because i i'd been irradiated a few times so i'm not as sharp as i am anymore it takes me a couple extra steps to learn something but once i do i'm like oh okay yeah totally totally
0: you know yeah
2: takes me a little bit extra takes me a little bit longer but i'm still pretty good at it but when i december from june of 2021 to december of 2021 i worked again at a local distillery here in town okay um when i needed to go back to work i worked there for about six months and i was laid off just at just before christmas last year this last year um so i got to spend christmas and new years unemployed with very little money but I had some of my friends and family in the community come together and they gave me and the wife a couple hundred bucks that I could get my wife and my kid uh, a few fun things for Christmas, uh, which I enjoyed vehemently. But then right after Christmas, I went into, I saw that Stan's Mary Mart applying for gun counter associate. Like, oh, I feel quali- I I feel like I'm qualified for that. Sure enough. When the gun counter supervisor said that I heard that I had graduated SDI and I knew what I was talking about, he's like, oh, you're already hired.
0: Now, I think this section might be something where a lot of you gunsmiths out there can relate. And it's the idea of shop cleanliness. Um, David talks about sort of his philosophy on how he keeps his shop organized. And he also gives his inspiration for where he got this philosophy. The answer may surprise you.
2: There's a personality I watched for a long time, mind you, and that was Adam Savage, Mythbusters.
0: Oh yeah. I still
2: watch his YouTube oh, yeah. channel today. And mm. he has a quote that'll always stick with me that says, Organization and sorting, you know, isn't a task. It doesn't start and doesn't stop. It is a process. It is constant. Mm-hmm. because you're always had you always have an inflow and an outflow of heart of products and hardware from your shop Yeah. so yep. something is always changing so there's just the blip of eh, it's dirty it's sorted it's dirty it's sorted it's yeah. dirty it's sorted so he says it's constant so the shop may look dirty yes my process of sorting is very very slow right now because i'm like you say i've got Buckets of dried brass on a a cookie sheet on top of a bench that I made myself next to a broken oil heater, next to my bug out bag, next to a restored RCBS Uniflow powder measure, which the reloader for said powder measure is over there. It's all got a purpose. Mind you, it's all got something to do with it. Somebody walks into my shop, they're like, I don't know where to find anything. And I can close my eyes and tell you where everything in the shop is.
0: It can be chaos, but it's your chaos and you know how to deal.
2: It's my controlled chaos. Yes. This is what works for me. Mm -hmm. Eventually I'm going to get enough pegboard or like I've got a French cleat system that I started to experiment with over here Mm -hmm. on some loadable shelves. So whatever task I'm doing on that shelf, I can reach under the bench and stick, Mm -hmm. you know, precision tools or something up there based on what I'm working on. Uh, That's an idea I'm kind of entertaining up there. Um, I know where everything's at in the shop. Yeah. And if I don't, I I know I can find it in one or two uh, orders of retrievability. Sure. Uh, Adam, Adam, again, somebody else I'd love to meet because he's just down in Cali. Um, I actually have one of his books. Got one of his books floating around here. He talks about in that book, uh, orders of retrievability. First order of retrievability. Two orders. uh, One, two, and three orders of retrievability. One, grab it off the wall. Two, open a drawer, grab it out of the drawer. And then three is open a drawer, grab it out of the drawer, open the box. Uh, So you should have every major tool that you're using in a shop needs to have one of those three. If it takes more steps than that, you need either one, get rid of it, get a smaller version or find a place to put it in one, two or three steps in order of retrievability. Mm -hmm. My calipers, it's a three-step order of retrievability. When I'm reloading, it's one step. It's around the bench right next. Mm -hmm. But if I don't need it, It goes back into its case in the drawer and the drawer gets closed. I know Mm -hmm. exactly where it's at and I can find it quickly if I need to. So that's the iteration and the evolution that the shop is going through is it's not a task. So this process, it's a little slow right now, but I can tell you, I can tell you that that's my Hornady. That's my uh, Frankfurt Arsenal light tumbler next to a Lee Challenger Pro 4000 lead melting pot, and there's about 21 pounds of melted lead. I mean, I can tell you everything in this shop name, make, model, and probably serial number if I can remember about almost everything I yeah. have in this shop. Yeah. And like that's the way I love to work. Mm-hmm. I people ask, "Do you have this?" And I can go, uh, uh, "No." but I have blank, blank, and blank. They're like, oh, that'll work perfectly. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Having, uh, uh, occupying more space, you know, more free real estate in my head than it probably should, I can tell everybody that everything that I have, just about, or everything that I've had come by the shop. But having, being able to take that, I don't know, OCD whatever you want to call it my obsessive compulsive disorder for Lego. Cause I had 22 years of Lego since I was like 11. Uh-huh. I don't have that anymore, but I love to organize me and my buddy, Carl, he works for Walt Disney. Um, we used to just spend days. It's like sorting session, sorting session. So we'd go pick up a six pack of beer or twisted tea. Actually, is what our preferred preferred beverage was, and we would just sit there and sort Lego for hours. Talk shop, oh, catch wow. up, and just sit there and sort Legos, color, shape, size, whatever. So we had the big bins and the sorters like those. We had dozens of those, and we'd fill those up and then put mm-hmm. them all into the shape containers or the little mini storage bins that you pull out that have got, you know, oh. nine or 12 drawers to a thing. We would do all that, man. I'll have to send you pictures. And uh, so we would just spend hours doing that. So that gave me that old, uh,
0: Yeah. I just
2: loved it. When yeah. I have the place to sort everything, I love to sort everything. Mm -hmm. like i bought fishing tackle boxes like four tier storage tackle boxes to stick like my springs all my detents all my extra hammers extra hammer springs extra Mm -hmm. charging handles and muzzle devices and everything so like my little ar armorer's tool i have a kit that i take with me every time i go to the range Mm -hmm. that has extra parts extra springs extra detents cleaning lubrication and then troubleshooting Like Mm -hmm. it all goes with me in the event that somebody at the range needs it. I've got that all with me. Like better to have it not needed than to need it, not have it. And that is what SDI of, of all things. And you can quote this if you choose to above everything else, SDI has prepared me for what I need, what I should have and what I want.
0: Next up, uh, David tells me about, uh, his future business, uh, his future business venture.
2: In my last eight weeks, when I was in, uh, I did. it was the marketing and management class. I can't remember the name of it. You had to come up with an operating name for the pseudo business that you yeah. manage. And that was the hardest part, was the name. Uh-huh. And I I'd bounced ideas off the wife. and the And what we ended up settling on was broadside munitions. And she's like, okay, question. Broadside of a boat, the broadside of a barn, the broadside of a deer. And I'm like... I've been told I can hit the broadside of the barn. So <laughs> if you can imagine a yeah. red, the long side of a standard red picket barn, you know, yeah. the red and white contrast uh-huh. in a circle that says broadside munitions. Yeah, we can hit that. I'd show you, but on the side here, it's got my name, my city uh-huh. address. And then the serial number is broadside, B-R-D-E, B-R-D-S-D-E. Broadside, you know, kind of hyphenated, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a three-digit number, and it's the first serialized form one that I've ever made. That's kind of the acting name. If I go into, if my doing business as will probably be Broadside Munitions,
0: so that's I need the name I think that's the
2: name I reference when I hand that card out.
0: Yeah, I did thought initially you said Burnside. I, I was just imagining, like, a, the image of, like, Ambrose Burnside just, yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, cool, I guess I can get behind that, I, I like Civil War figures, I guess, <laughs> <But> no,
2: <laughs>
0: uh, no, yeah, no, it's I,
2: more of a, uh, what is it, um, Burdan, Burdan Sharpshooters,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I do like Broadside, and though, burn. like, I, I like the yeah, slogan at the that. end, like I think yeah, that-
2: we can hit the broad side of a barn. Like if yeah. people don't piece it together, I probably don't want them as a customer. Yeah. yeah I can hit yeah. that house alongside of a barn. <laughs> I get it. I like to, <laughs> you know. But that's the, that's the acting name and uh-huh. I, I just need to draw up some business cards.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're nearing the end of our time with David. Uh, We got two more sections for you. This first section, he goes into some detail about some of the medical struggles that he underwent uh, during his time at SDI and he still is struggling with. The research I was able to do, I know that um, you had to go in for surgery. Was it once or twice during your studies at SDI?
2: So I went in for surgery in March of 2020, and they did okay. a transnasal sphenoid sinus. So they did Egyptian lobotomy style up into my brain, and they chopped away 20% of the tumor that's between the eyes, kind of mm-hmm. between the ears, you know, yeah. where your pituitary is. So it's, yeah. And it's a gland the size about every pinky nail, but that tumor was like an inch big. So you have something this big with a tumor this big growing off of it. Uh, once. Uh, went in for surgery once. Um, the second that I referenced that they might be confusing is I had in September of that same year, I had stereotactic radiosurgery. They uh, sat me in essentially an MRI that makes no noise, but it's emitting a, an ionizing laser into my brain. So the isotope that they used is called technetium-99, and it was an isotope with a decay rate six hours or something like that mm-hmm. real fast. Yeah. But it, uh, they essentially made, uh, made a three dimensional outline of that tumor with the, all the MRIs and the CAT yeah. scans that they had done to essentially blast a hundred percent of that tumor. If they could with oh, wow. radio, with, you know, radioactive isotopes to get that thing to shrivel up. It's not dead, but it's definitely reduced efficiency. The tumor was classified as what's called a functioning tumor, so, people that have like a lot of hair on their bodies or grow really tall or, mm-hmm. you know, get really fat, uh, it's generally a, a thyroid issue or yeah. something off your pituitary because your pituitary and your thyroids are responsible for the hormone maintenance yeah, yeah, yeah. in your body. So, uh, tumors that'll grow off of pituitary glands will sometimes go haywire. And then when they, achieve a functioning stage they start producing one of a hundred hormones that your body can have and they'll just start producing it as often as they can and it'll get bigger so it'll start making more and more and so then people are like uh, uh, you know people start to have issues hair everywhere hair is growing really fast they put on a lot of weight they do whatever one of the one of the precursors for me is is i uh i was working out and I I would fatigue going up a set of stairs I was ballooning in weight I went to almost 300 pounds I was 265 270 Mm -hmm. and now I'm like 210 so we noticed that there was something wrong but I was working at the old distillery Mm -hmm. here in town and I collapsed so then uh, like something's not right I hadn't seen a doctor in a few years so went in they did some blood work and they they give them all my signs and symptoms and they were like ah schedule you an MRI and it might be, you might have a problem. So they took some blood work, scheduled me an MRI. Sure enough, came, came up to what I had, what was classified as a prolactinoma. So prolactin in the levels that were found in my body are only really found, are not even found in pregnant women. And they're like, uh, you're having a problem. Prolactin levels also help with like weight retention. So I just was like, my it was baby weight I was putting on the best way the doctor put it is your body was preparing for the fat that it was going to have to burn to make milk for a baby that I wasn't pregnant with, Mm. kind of thing. And it turned out that I had had a tumor cooking off in my head for a few years that was making, just oversaturating my Uh body with this prolactin that my body didn't need. But that surgery uh, was only 20% because uh, the first medication I had been put on, um, I wouldn't say mutated it, but it caused that tumor to go from a sac, essentially a slug that you can pull out, to get all fibrous and kind of gotcha. scar tissuey. Yeah. And it and it and it wrapped yeah. around my carotids. That the sella of your brain, which is where your pituitary is, yeah. is also where your carotids yeah. come in and meet to feed blood to your brain. So that okay. tumor that tumor had gone back and grown around Ugh, my two like carotids, like almost
1: like a vine.
2: Almost like a mine. Absolutely. So they were able to take away the front half of that tumor, but if they went back any farther, they could have nicked an artery and I'd be eaten from a spoon or a straw for the rest of my life if I didn't die on the operating table. So I got, they got 20% of that tumor out. And then I was able to get in for stereotactic because my local endocrinologist is like, well, your levels still aren't going, staying where they need to be. So I stopped medication for a little bit to see where it went and it started to climb again. So like, okay, it's not dead. It slowed, but it's not dead. So then went in and blast with the radiation, I just the topes, that brought the production level down that with the proper amount of medication, I can kind of stay on, on, on top of it and keep Get it up. down mm-hmm. until I can go in for another round of surgery and hopefully kill it a little bit more. And then I would have to take less meds but it's i don't recommend having to take the amount of medication that i do every day
0: all right and last up basically we just talk a little bit about the future uh what his goals are what keeps him moving forward uh what his motivations are and um it's a really really a fascinating way for me to have ended the conversation with David. So I hope you guys enjoy. So you talked about, you know, kind of a big motivation was being able to finish something like, and see something through to completion. And I can relate to that because, you know, I know a lot of my early twenties and stuff was sort of classified with that mindset. I was really interested in a lot of things. So when I actually did accomplish something, you know, you felt that feeling of sort of almost a surreal euphoria. But then there's the after, and you realize you have to keep doing it.
2: A skill not used is a skill lost.
0: Mm-hmm. So how are you planning on attacking post grad with that same sort of that same sort of motivation to see things through?
2: Something that I've kind of kept in my head up until recently is uh, when I talk about doing those 1911s, building the 1911, so I want to get my FFL and I want to get a manufacturer's license so I can make my own guns, whether I'm milling 80s and getting them printed or I'm getting them serialized and registered, all that is I want to make maybe make two or three a year, really small number of 1911s. Or Mm -hmm. or nine millimeters or something like that, of my own. Like they're eighty percent kits that I put together and I do all the hand finishing and polishing, and put my B R O D S D E and then X X X what on them, and sell those. Really small number, maybe three or four a year, depending on uh, volume and you know supply meets demand kind of thing. Is uh is make a really good handgun. Really, uh, I love the 1911s, but I hate the 1911s. But a 1911 would be relatively, one, easy to acquire, mm-hmm. easy to maintain, and easy to upgrade. Because 1911s right now are like the Glocks of the forty five caliber world, I should say, is that there's a lot of aftermarket support. Yeah. So building a 1911, whether it's in 70 series or an 80 series government model or commander model or what have you, is build five or six 1911s a year, charge a uh, Kimber pricing for them. Mm-hmm. But those, you know, expend a lot of time into one thing and then sell it for an amount that I can recoup some of the last two or three months that I've spent making it. Mm-hmm. I still want to do like retail. I would love to help stands well into their 75th year. But like on the weekend, sorry, I got another 1911 I got to work on. And I'm just sitting there like calipers. Okay, another twenty thousand. I just make a really nice fit and finish of. Where did you get that, David? This one, I made this. My one. Man. You know, and uh-huh. be, and just yeah. And people are like, do you want to sell it? You know, because if I make a really cool looking gun, you know somebody's gonna want to buy it. Yeah. Because they're like, I want, I want one of those. Would you sell yours? I'm like, mm, maybe, but with my FFL, I could legally do that and have like, okay, now we got three models, you know, a nine millimeter or 38 super and a 45. Mm-hmm. My thing was, is I got into a conversation with an inventory coordinator. His name's Joe Jewett. Love the guy. Awesome. He's a stippler. I actually have one of my Springfields off getting stippled by him right now. Uh-huh. Uh, I got in the conversation with them that uh, guns, gun maintenance, gun upkeep are an industry of their own. Regardless of from the aside from the consumer and the retail side of they make, we buy, they make, we buy, they make, we buy. Mm-hmm. And this just every vicious cycle. Guns, gunsmithing, gun maintenance, and gun upkeep is its industry of its own. If if there wasn't gunsmiths out there cleaning guns, upkeeping guns, making sure the family heirloom survives another 50 years, mm-hmm. guns would just get thrown away if they got broken. If there wasn't people there. To fix guns, guns would cease to exist. And my thing on it is if I can be even responsible for 0.1% of guns that have been cleaned and maintained over the next hundred years, I've done, I've done what I've set up to do. I want to be responsible for a gun, either I owned it, I cleaned it, I fixed it, that's seen in a museum a hundred years from now, or even twenty years from now, like. That gun was restored by David Drane's Broadside Munitions. And I'm like, I did that. Yeah. You know, that's uh, and that was the conversation me and Joe got into is like, well, if people didn't have the fascination like I do, and I know I'm not alone. But if we didn't strive ourselves enough to do what we do or what we want to do, those industries would just cease to exist. There would be nobody that needed aftermarket gun parts because nobody fixes up a gun when it's broken. Mm -hmm. Guns are like machines. You take care of a Model T and you can have a Ford Model T 130, 150 years later. I hadn't even graduated yet. And I worked on an 1885 Thomas Bland and Sons 450 short Colt black powder break action revolver from the British Army. But I hadn't even graduated yet. And the owner, the mailman, who I'd mentioned a while ago, his father-in-law worked for the DOD back in like 85, 87, mm-hmm. long time ago, and had found this gun. And it sat in a safe for like 15, 16 years. And he said, well, Henry, I have a, an expiring young man on my route that is, a gun, is aspiring to become a gunsmith. He'd like to take a crack at it. So it was almost five months from the, from the day that I got that gun to the day I was able to give it back. But I learned like conversion coatings. He wanted it kept in the raw, which uh, on the, you know, cust- what the customer wants is what the customer yeah. gets. Uh, but I had to like make a new spring. I had to test fit. I had to, you know, sand and finish a few parts because the, the rust was really topical, not yeah. super deep. There was some pitting on it, mm-hmm. but it could have been worse. But it had the original grips on it. Like it was a, and I made a box for it, nice little black velvet box, and had the plaque stickers of Webley, Thomas Bland and Sons. Uh And it was 450 short cold. And it's an old black powder. I mean, the bullet's moving slower than 45 AC. Slow. Like I'm telling you, it's 262 grain projectile, and it's moving like 700 feet per second. You could see that bullet going down the road, essentially. But I hadn't even graduated yet and I got an opportunity to do that. And that is a big one. Yeah. Like, whoa. But I had if had I not started where I was, I wouldn't known that vinegar is a great rust remover that's safe, non-toxic, and easy to buy. I used an old bandsaw blade to make the spring steel to make the spring paw that is the advancing arm for that same cylinder. Ooh. Like I had to make a new spring for it. Same thickness piece of spring steel and put that in. And, like, that works. And it was a double-action pistol, too. So, 1885, that was a double-action revolver. It worked out well. But it fit. It worked. Had a, you know, a gun. Again, the gun is 125, 130 years old. It's going to have a little bit of battle rattle. But he's like, I want to shoot it. I'm like, it'll shoot. Things like that. Things like that should belong in a museum or will belong in a museum. I want to be responsible for a 10th of that, yeah. if at all. If I do this for the next 10 or 20 years and then 50 years from now, somebody comes to me and says, Grandpa, I saw one of your guns at the museum. And I'm like, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of my goal. Like, I'd love to make some cool guns, shoot guns with the boys, you know, all the good stuff that comes sure. with it. But sure. my societal goal personal goals, friendship goals, family goals, societal goals. I want to keep the wheels of gunsmithing and gun industry continuing to move for the next hundred years. And if I can, and if my small little backwoods town here in Kashmir in the middle of Pacific Northwest can be responsible for that, then I'm going to do it. I don't care. I don't care if it takes me two, three, five years, 10 years. I'm going to do it. And when I reach a point that I've like, I feel like I did a good job, like I've got my fingers in other pies as well. So I'll continue those. But it was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And it was SDI that helped me pull the trigger on that. Because I now have the experience and the opportunity dealing with some old guns from the customers and mostly my experience to, of following through with something. So now that I've come full circle and want to do SDI. I'm doing SDI, I've done SDI. I got a plaque to prove it. I feel pretty good. That may be seem very little to a lot of people, but for me, that meant a lot.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, we hope you enjoyed all of that. That was pretty cool. Uh, David is a great guy and a great ambassador for SDI. So we really enjoy him. And uh, we appreciate him taking the time, all of that time, to talk with us. But now, before we walk off into the sunset, let's hit one tale from the range. Since Drew talked through that whole thing, uh, I'm going to take this one off of his beleaguered shoulders. This one comes from a user called 61Chalk from The High Road. And he says, a long time ago, I read... I believe it was in Reader's Digest about a man's wife saving back money. She decided to hide the cash down the barrels of her husband's double barrel shotgun hid away in the closet. One day the guy decides to go rabbit hunting. The rabbit jumps up and he fires $200 in cash or what was left of it. <laughs> came, came shooting out. I believe they were able to take the mess to the bank and collect back most of it in better condition. But What in the... who? I have questions.
0: Um, The main one is... I have one. What's up? Yeah, just for, you know, know, for everything's sake. uh, Where do you hide your money, Uh, Joey?
1: Definitely not down the barrel of my shotgun. Ignoring the absurd muzzle discipline flagrant violation that that is. How would you not know that this is the logical conclusion of that? That doesn't, mm-hmm. that's, you have to, unless your home is eight by 10 um and it's barren, there has to be a better place to hide it. Hide her under the, between the mattress or the buck spring or something. It's <laughs> the worst place. How are you going to get it out without him knowing? <laughs> um, it's so, so bad. Anyway, I hope that story is is a tall tale because it's just silly. Anyway, one last time before we're on the way out, if you're interested in the world of firearm technology, hop on to sdi.edu. We would love to have you become a part of the family. We have wonderful admissions reps uh, that we can start a conversation with pretty much right away. Most of the time, the live chat, Uh, is going to be open during normal business hours, Uh, something you can check out there. Um, I know personally a few of the people that operate that. They're good folks, and uh, they would love to talk to you. So uh, with all that being said, that is The Gun Wreck for now. Catch us next week. Have fun out there, and we'll see you at the range.
0: The Noran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.